the biggest story in New Zealand at the moment with our ability to return to some semblance of normality directly tied to their willingness to head down to the local pharmacy for a painless jab. And as a result of that, obviously, the government's introducing this kind of series of increasingly stringent measures to compel them to literally take their medicine. And the anti-vax holdouts, as a result, are finding a platform in the media. And lately, we've had RNZ and stuff uh, platforming Auckland midwives who are campaigning against mandatory vaccinations for their peers. We've got News Hub doing a big story on 10 Taranaki midwives who say they may quit over the vaccine mandate. We've got The Herald writing up an actually quite strange missive uh, from the former TV presenter Liz Gunn, who seemed to blame the vaccine mandate for an earthquake in the North Island. It was and an odd today one, wasn't also, it? It was an odd one. I, I mean, I'll speak about all of this stuff, but I mean, and today we had the hikoi to Waitangi that was covered. It was heavily infiltrated by local conspiracy theorists and alt-right provocateurs. That's another story. Uh, we've had last week, I was actually going to speak about it, didn't get time, a story about low vaccination rates in Mudupada, which the Herald sent out with a quite concerning and I would say pretty irresponsible push notification. Mudupada Komatua says he and other local Māori don't want Pfizer vaccine, waiting for others they think will be more effective. That's just misinformation that's just kind of in a headline, so I'm concerned about that. Do you think that it's the, the clickbait nature of the headlines that they suggest that the supposed problem in these communities is actually bigger than it is, that they just distort reality? Yeah, I think this is this is what's the inherent issue with all of these stories, right? The problem is that they create this distorting effect, right? So as a midwife noted on Twitter, those 10 Taranaki midwives are just actually a vanishingly small percentage of the overall midwife population, and they don't represent the hundreds who do support the vaccine mandate. And that's even more the case for doctors, where you've seen GPs in the South Island who want to quit over the vaccine getting their own personal story in the media, where they'll get more coverage than the 6,625 GPs and other doctors who have signed an open letter recommending the vaccine. You know. And I guess the issue with this is that just our brains are so terrible at weighting these numbers correctly. We're terrible at, at weighting numbers properly and giving proper weight to various views in this situation. And so when you have these minority fringe and often discredited views platformed, it gives them gives people the impression that these things are more widespread and more credible than they actually are. And, I mean, the other thing is, I mean, these stories are sceptical in tone. No one from the hero is going, oh, Liz Gunn, she's right. But, I mean, in fact, the story calls her opinions bizarre. But the problem is, and this is something we've learned over the last four years, that might not matter, right? And the rise of Trump is the classic example of this. The media coverage was sneering. Get a load of this idiot. Look at what this buffoon said this time. This crazy statement that he's said this time. And... They found that even if they did fact check him and they sneered at him and they did all this stuff, actually just broadcasting that stuff and carrying what he said live got it in people's heads and it gave him prominence and it gave it momentum and it made it a talking point. It raised his profile. And so the best solution that they found there and one that many media either didn't arrive at or arrived at far too late was that the best solution is just to not give those lies and that disinformation a platform. And... Maybe this is a similar situation, right, where you have a discredited point of view. The best solution is actually not to give it oxygen. But is it a case of the media 
elevating these alternate views or is it only fair that we know both sides of any story? Um, I, I mean, I think that, I mean, the both sides thing is something that I've spoken about quite a lot where you have, uh, you can have what's called asymmetrical, uh, symmetrical coverage of asymmetrical realities. If you can get your head around that, where one side of the argument is far more credible than the other and giving them both the same weight creates that distorting effect that I was talking about earlier. I think the other thing here is, is that what you have at play, uh, distorting effect I'm saying like in in favor of the discredited view where it makes it seem more credible the other thing that's in play obviously is the man bites dog thing that that aphorism where it's an unusual view vaccine skepticism is a minority position and it's more interesting and so it's more likely to be the subject of a story for that reason and look I'm under no illusions as well these stories are good for clicks and I'm pretty sim- I'm I'm sort of sympathetic to the the crit- criticism that here I am sort of in my publicly funded role criticizing media for having to you know actually respond to economic incentives and get these clicks. I get that, but the thing that I've said throughout this pandemic is I think that in this case it's such an important thing to get right. COVID nineteen is such an important thing to get right. The vaccine is such an important thing to get right. It's a key public health thing. You should go out of your your way to get it right. And so platforming anti-vaxxers kind of undermines that goal, I think. And it actually undermines stuff like the media's own goals, like NZME's 90% project. Well, well, is there a way to report on this stuff responsibly, though? Yeah. And I, I, what I've said there, oh, you know, I've said not platforming stuff is probably the best medicine here. But I'm sympathetic to the idea that some of the stories that I mentioned above are pretty newsworthy. Ten midwives in Taranaki out of 55 saying that they might quit in the middle of a midwife shortage is pretty concerning. That might affect a whole bunch of people's health outcomes. So that has real newsworthiness. So how do you report it, though, in that situation? And again, if you go back to the Trump years, they kind of (laughs) developed theories about how to do it. There was a linguistics professor called George Lakov who suggested a truth sandwich. So basically state the truth, that's one slice of bread, then report the lie, and then close off with the truth again. Complete that used sandwich. to be called something else, not a truth sandwich. I, I <laughs> it's possibly it's a possibly an old idea, but it sort of has this... I, the, I guess the point is that you always state the truth more prominently than the lie, and you give it the first priority in people's brains, right? Because they, yes. they think about the first thing they hear. So there has been some really good reporting in New Zealand about uh, along those lines that, that, that gets it right. So this is Katie Bradford reporting on anti-vaxxers for like Lizgun for One News. The disinformation project, which monitors such activity, says since Friday's announcement, there's been a spike in engagement on anti-vaccination and conspiracy pages. Church leaders and former media personalities latching onto the sentiment. The most draconian cruel, inhumane, unkind measures. So that's Katie Bradford. That's the start of it. She goes on a little bit of a tangent about Dave Dobbin, and then she closes like this. The World Health Organization warns about the infodemic, inaccurate information spreading as fast as the pandemic. That's a sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's a sandwich, right? Where you frame it as disinformation and you talk about the infodemic afterwards. So you're framing that that clip in the middle from Liz Gunn 
in the context of you are talking about disinformation and misinformation, right? And so stuff, Tony Wall, he did a similar thing when he did his story about the Thames mayor, Sandra Gowdy. Every time she or someone in the story actually kind of made a big false claim in his stuff profile, he immediately corrected it. So, you know, someone talks about vaccine side effects, he talks about the reality of vaccine side effects. And so it's kind of line by line corrected within the story. Well, we were just asking, uh, talking that she voted with the council, uh, you know, that everyone should be double vaxxed, except her. Yeah, uh, she's an odd, she's an odd case, isn't she? There's some really good councillors down in Thames. I'm getting off topic here, but I mean, there's some, and then there's some Sandra. That should be. Let's go back to the standard for good journalism. Uh, shouldn't the standard for good journalism be? let's say, personal opinion, followed by the facts. Yeah, I think that the, the issue here is that a lot of reporters haven't really dealt with a situation like this, right? So in the US, we we're talking about you have this hyper-polarised politics and you've got bad faith actors competing for media attention. And so they've had to develop these sorts of practices for dealing with that. Not that they have got it right just yet, but at least there's been this big cultural debate in journalism about how to treat that. And 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 here you you kind of you've got people that are loath to kind of talk, to call out people within a story and to make truth claims because they think that that breaches the value of objectivity, right? So you don't want to make a judgment call, but that's another standard that can be abused by bad faith actors and people that are peddling misinformation. Because if we don't correct things and if we do treat all views equally, then we just give equal space to bad arguments and we put them on the same pedestal as something that might actually be far have far more veracity and have far more expert backing. And so, I, you know, I, this isn't for everything. But in matters like climate science, we have 99% of the scientists on your side, or vaccine science, where it's even higher. In those circumstances, so-called neutral reporting of the objections to it can actually work, I think, counter to another really more fundamental journalistic value, which is telling your audience the truth. Right. And now you've got a couple of... uh awards to give out to Midweek Media Watch Media Awards. And the first one goes to, drum roll. Yeah, yeah I pioneered that, that award ceremony. Do you like that one? I don't know if it's going to catch on. But first one to Mark um, Dalder. I think he's been our best reporter the last you know couple of years on both climate change and arguably COVID-19. He's released another... 7,000 word epic today on what climate change has in store for us and what we can learn from the past about what uh, various temperature rises actually do to our planet. And suffice to say, it's not an encouraging read, uh, but it is really deeply researched and really clear-eyed and it cuts through all the debates we're having about cow farts and land use controls and to the actual reality that we've already entrenched for our children and their children, even with the minimal actions that we've taken and all the debates that we're still having. So, I mean, uh, to me, it just filled me with raw terror. Uh, <laughs> uh, I recommend it for all of you if you do too want to be filled with raw terror. That's on the newsrooms on newsrooms website. So, how can we yeah, find that? Yeah, newsrooms like, website. What's the uh, headline? Newsroom.co.nz. Oh, well, let me look at it. I've got it up here. Long read: How past climates hold secrets for our future. Must read it. Okay. Yeah. And the second award is to a one news reporter. 
Thomas Mead, uh, exemplar of public interest journalism. He uh, he's we've interviewed him before about his coverage of the March 15 mosque attacks. But he also does a lot of investigations of sort of uh, the more questionable actions of our major employees and uh, particularly tallies. And his latest investigation is about how a female observer on a tallies fishing vessel was uh, repeatedly sexually harassed during a 10-week voyage, which is a terrifying ordeal. And I just think that Thomas Mead is really impressive in how he holds tightly to that journalistic adage of afflicting the powerful and comforting the afflicted and He's also one of our most seasoned and passionate wild weather reporters, so that's really covering the full spectrum uh, of journalism there. That's a nice way of putting it. Uh, and uh, a, a media, when I the uh, what did you say, comforting the afflicted? Uh, afflicting the powerful and comforting the afflicted. Very nice that. line. That's a great line. Uh, you also want to highlight one media fail. Eh. Yeah, this is uh, this was amazing. I just wanted to play this clip. This is just an incredible interview from the UK. This is between talk radio host Mike Graham and uh, one of the people from Insulate Britain, formerly Extinction Rebellion, or break off from Extinction Rebellion. His name's Cameron Ford. What do you do for a living, well, Cameron? I'm a carpenter. A carpenter, right. So how safe is that for the climate? Well, I work with timber, which is a much more sustainable material rather than concrete. I also but you work with trees out. that have been cut down then, don't you? It's a sustainable building practice. How is it sustainable if you're killing trees? Because it's regenerative. You can grow trees. Right. Well, you can, you can grow all sorts of things, can't you? Well, you can't grow concrete. You can. Um... Just to be clear, that's Mike Graham saying you can grow concrete. Uh, my understanding is that is that you cannot grow concrete and then makes things from them. Brilliant, marvelous. I don't think I ever want to talk to any of those people. <laughs> and that was it. He signed <laughs> that off. That was it. That was Mike Graham. Sorry, that long silence there was just Cameron Ford staring into the abyss after Mike Graham told him that you can grow concrete. That is not correct <laughs> in my understanding. You cannot do that. Look, we can complain all we like about our talking heads and them getting stuff wrong, but they still are nowhere near the level of some of the big guns from Britain. That's what I learned today from that one.